Say now, say now. You're tuned in to the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. We are here in the city of Portland, Oregon. The Roadrunner is back. I'm out here. <laughs> the Roadrunner is I'm back. back. Home, baby. I'm back in the building. Shout out to Zeb. We in the building, Zeb. So uh, tell us a little bit about your trip before we get in the wind shares. You hit the I, road all right. randomly. I mean, you've been talking about doing right. this for quite some time. Yeah. And then one day you just did it, yeah. like you were talking about doing it a while ago. So I just assume like a track star. I just assume that like he's not doing it. And no, then well, yeah, of all course. of a sudden, because when you said you were going to do you it initially, it, it didn't happen. Never let him know your next move. And then all of a sudden, like <laughs> I called you and you were in like I'm like I'm Montana. Yeah, I'm, I'm gone. Yeah, get back to yeah. Okay, so look, I left because yeah, I planned on going, of course, and you know, I just I. I you know, we had the season started um, this week. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, let me um, sort of get that out of the way to a certain extent. I had a couple of places that I wanted to go, I wanted to, to drive to. But then it just sort of, excuse me, it just sort of, you know, snowballed from there. I got a call from my friend Steven. He was like, yo, you're halfway to Chicago. Just come on. So I said, all right, let's go. So I drive to Chicago. And then after that, it was like, I, I was like, oh, well, let's, I got some other business I got to take care of in Texas. So, all right, let's do that. And so I ended up driving seven and a half thousand miles in 12 days. And I was all over the place. I went to a bunch of different spots. The reason why I did it is because, I mean, obviously who doesn't like a good road trip, number one. And number two, I just needed to get my, I, like I said on the podcast, I wanted to get my finger on the pulse of, you know, other parts of the country. Did you um, accomplish that? I think so, yeah. I mean, I think especially in the sentiment of, like, houselessness and how that's being thought about, uh, especially in, like, the middle of the country and, and, and I, guess, I guess you would say more conservative swaths of the country. Uh -huh. And so I, I thought that I gathered some pretty good information about that. I did a little music action with my homeboy Steven, and I, you know what I'm saying, did some things in Texas that I needed to get done, and... So I, I I killed a bunch of birds with uh, one big stone, and I had a really good time, and I'm exhausted now. I'm still recovering from basically lack of sleep because you don't get that many miles underneath you without just gunning it. And, uh, yeah, it was fun, man. I, 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 uh, I'm I definitely going to go again. <laughs> I'll be back out there after basketball season. I'll be back out there for sure. So maybe I'll, uh, you know, start um, – I don't know, like a video blog or something. I mean, I say that now, but I won't because I don't. <laughs> I barely even took any pictures, bro. Like, I don't, I'm not that guy. I don't take pictures or whatever. Like, it, it was just for me, you know, in, in, in so many ways. But yeah. But it also made for, I have tons. I mean, I could, you know, I got gang of stories. So, Definitely. you know, that's all content driven for me. Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll yeah, get to in, that over time. I, over in time, time, baby. Over in time, time baby. we'll get there. But that's a good win share for me, I would say, is I got that done. Because, like I said, I had been planning it for the last, like, year and a half. And, you know, just life and being an adult and trying to do adult stuff just sort of prevented that. But, I mean, when you want to do stuff like that, you just got to go do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, Definitely. it ain't nothing to it but to do it. And that's really – and, I like, when you're young, people tell you that stuff all the time. You know, like, older people are like, oh, yeah, if you want to do something, you know, you have a goal in mind or you have, like, a trip that you want to plan or something to that effect. They go, you just got to do it now because – Time will get away from you. And when you're a kid, you have so much time, you're just like, ah, yeah, 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 whatever. But as you get older, you realize, you're like, no, 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 that's the most sage-like advice that you could be given. And so it's better to just, like, 
just do it when you have the gumption to do it. And that's what I did. Absolutely. Well, glad you made it back in one piece. Oh, yeah. Glad you made it back safely. And uh, here we are, back at it on the podcast. And I'm Spencer's so happy back, to y'all. be back, man. I'm so happy to be back. I love PDX. I love my house. And and I'm just I'm back home, ready to go. Well, as you also mentioned, season is underway, so let's get to some win shares. And when I say season, I'm obviously talking about college basketball. I finished up college football over this past weekend, so um, you know another good good year in the books over at Pacific University. And my second year being on the call, you got to call a couple games with me this season, so that definitely was a good time. But in the last couple of days, we've been back in basketball mode. We called Pacific Men's a couple days ago against Portland Bible College in a blowout, quite frankly, as it should have been, and it was. So we don't need to really kind of, you know, talk about that much. But they're 1-0, and then Pacific Women, who actually have the highest of expectations, I think, of the three teams that I call games for, obviously Pacific Men and Women as well as Portland State Men. I mean, uh, yeah, Portland State Men, excuse me. Pacific women played yesterday. It was an exhibition game for them. They beat Montana Western University in a game that they were in control of for majority of, was up 20-plus at points in a game, and then in the fourth quarter just let Montana Western right back in it. Montana Western never was able to take the lead, but they were able to bring the game back to a one-possession game. The boxers ultimately won by four. But this weekend, we will be on the call for a few games. Pacific University men will play at home Friday night. It'll be a 7 p.m. tip-off against Multnomah University, and then they will play again on Saturday at 3 p.m. against Westmont University. In the case of Pacific Women, they will be at home on Saturday at 5 p.m. after the men's game against Pomona Pitzer, and then they do have another game Sunday against Claremont Mutt Scripps, but they play that game at George Fox. So we won't be on the call there, but we will be on the call for the Friday night game for Pacific men and then the doubleheader men's and women's game Saturday at Pacific. So you can tune in to GoBoxers.com and check us out there. How does it feel to be back on the call for College Hoops, man? I mean, I love it, dude. <laughs> I get to sit there and watch basketball with my homie <laughs> and talk about yeah. it live. Like, it's, it is it's, fire. It's the best. Dude. <laughs> it's the best. And we got nice. We got a nice view up there. And like you said, man. I mean, especially in the case of you know the Pacific women, they are just humming already coming out of the gate with just nice cohesion. We have a lot of high expectations for that team. You can check that out on GoBoxers.com and watch every game live with a nice broadcast. It's official like a referee's whistle, as my friend Devon would say. And it's just a, a good time. I, and I personally believe that we have the best broadcast in the, you know, in the conference, in the conference for, sure. for sure. I agree. And I, mean, I agree, baby. I'm not trying to I agree, baby. Here, but it's, it's fun. It's very entertaining. On, it is very on, entertaining. Man. You never know what Spencer's going to say <laughs> in, uh, in the color analyst role <laughs> over there. I, it's, uh, I, I tend to get excited, too, just because, you know, my passion for the game of basketball. But, uh yeah, it's a nice little – what you get on the Wake Up and Win podcast is what you get when you watch yeah, that's pretty a, much a Pacific it. University <laughs> broadcast. <laughs> I mean, we don't swear. That's the only thing. Yeah, we yeah, 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 yeah. We no try, swearing. We, we and try, we, our I swearing mean, is quite limited, limited on the podcast, but we don't have the restrictions on the podcast that we have 
on the broadcast. So, yeah. therefore, if we feel like swearing, we will. Yeah, we can say whatever the heck we yeah, want. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we still haven't sworn yet this episode. No. So, aren't we just great? We're but, good. yeah, what you get, what you see is what you get, baby. And what you get right here on the Wake Up and Win podcast is exactly what and you, you get. And you just want to follow the, the I mean, broadcast. I mean, and the men's, too. Like, they're... They're kill like they have a deep, deep problem. A bunch of cat guys that can play. There's some freshmen coming in that look like they could be really promising. And well, I think the thing with both of those teams, obviously, you know, Pacific Women has has had a bit more success in recent years. But coming into this season in particular, both teams have a lot of experience and they have a lot of returners coming mm-hmm. back beyond just the experience. And the reason why I want to specify the returners is. They have a lot of players in their program that have been there for quite some time. Now, pivoting away from Pacific men's and women's basketball, I'll be on ESPN Plus next Wednesday for Portland State against Evergreen. And while they have a lot of players with college basketball experience, they have like very little returners. So they got a lot of transfers in, a lot of Division One transfers in particular, but most of their guys are going to be transfers and just about everybody on last team on last year's team, with the exception of about three or four guys, are all gone. Mm. And and maybe only one of those guys was a starter on last year's team for majority of the season, if you will. So it's one of those things where Pacific's got a lot of returners, so you're always excited to have internal experience for your program, which, which which is what Pacific men and women's have to rely on going into this season, which should be a successful one for each program, especially the women, based on what they've achieved in recent years, as aforementioned. But for Portland State, I don't know what I'm walking into right. next week. And I, I wish I'm, I'm pretty mad about it. Obviously, I'm not broadcasting. I only do the home games for Portland State. But they play against University of Portland tomorrow night or tonight when you hear this podcast because mm. we release it on a Friday as we record on Thursday. But Portland State plays against Portland, but we'll be broadcasting over at Pacific at the same time. So I'll miss that game, unfortunately. A game you'd never really want to miss because it's a rivalry game. So I... I am legit gonna be coming into next week. Like, all right, well, hold on. What do we have here? Got to say, at the Viking Pavilion. I do got to say this though, behind the curtain, Devon don't miss much. He's tracking everything down. Yeah, yeah, I'm tracking it. But I, but I'm also a guy, and we actually had this conversation a little bit last night too. I am I'm more of a feel for the game guy, especially sure. as a broadcaster. Obviously, I pay attention to numbers, especially live stats as I'm broadcasting during the game. But I'm not sure yeah. like analytics guy. I'm I mean, the guy I was that thinking about that, you know, with 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 player experience, which is the reason why at Portland State I am an analyst because I played college basketball all four years. So that's what allows me to kind of sit in that analyst chair there. It's like. I really watch and break down what I see happening on the floor, and obviously that'll help determine what teams should or shouldn't be doing or what adjustments should be made, so on and so forth. I'm not really your guy that's going to dig deep into plus-minus numbers. I'm not really your guy that's going to really get too analytical with the game. I'm your guy that's going to really break down what I see happening on the floor and what adjustments could be made based on the feel I have for the game with the experience that I have had playing the game. So – well, it's I'll, one of those things where I don't miss much and I pay attention to it all, at least as best I can, because I wear a lot of different hats. But at the same time, it's like 
I'm more of a feel for the game type of broadcaster than nah. I am this analytical like stat nerd. Well, yeah. right, <laughs> like all straight right, up. All right, all right, chill out, chill out. No, look, look. Mr. Analytics no, over no, here no. to my no, left. No, I'll tell you like this. No, no, I'll tell you like this. I'll tell you like this. Firstly, it's easy for you to say because you can actually play. And that of course you're a feel for the and game. And I played. And you played. So I will say that. But, yes. but but with on the analytics thing, and I was thinking about that last night after we uh departed from one another. I was like, I was thinking about this moment. I'm pretty sure it was the first year that Steve Kerr was coaching the the dubs. And there's this moment on the bench, forget where I saw the clip, but Steph Curry comes in off of a road off of a shift. And I guess he just didn't have a very productive, you know, uh, shift, maybe missed some shots or something to that effect. And I remember Steve Kerr sitting with him on the bench and he's explaining to him, like, look, this is your plus minus thus far in the game. Like, I think it was like a per 36 or something like that. Yeah. Or maybe it was player efficiency rating. Whatever nerdy ass stat that he was. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Stuff I ain't really into. Right, right. But but he was explaining that to Steph, and he was basically going like, look, this is why you shouldn't trip so hard about what you just did out there because it's still, you know, you're a net positive in this particular stat that's like affecting the the win probability of this game or whatever. Right. I mean, you could tell. Steph was like, all right, thanks. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, like, I know how good bro. I am. Then you see me just break three threes in a row or whatever. Like, that's what I'm thinking about or whatever. Yeah, but, right. But, but I just – I think that stats are important to – they're they're important to have because you're able to qualify how – in especially in the NBA, bro. It, guys, everyone's so good now. Everybody in the NBA is so good, bro. Okay. And so you have to be able to find – like information in the minutia to be able to make the most informed decisions about who you're going to play against who, because I mean, it's easy to be like, all right, well, if I have Kevin Durant on my team, I mean like it with the Kevin Durant trainer book and everyone's like, well, we'll just go get Kevin Durant, you know, however we need to get him. But it's yeah. like, but we can get the same value. You know, a lot of analytics guys will be able to tell you like, well, based on salary and then productivity and other guys in the league that share the exact same, like, physical tools that Kevin Durant, everyone's long and, and can right. and, and can put the ball on the floor to a certain extent. Maybe not to the level of a guy like Katie, but I it hear just you. helps to qualify. I'm not saying that they that they aren't now, valuable. But you, now, can't, you can't hang your entire hat on it. I, and I, I, I will always go with the eye test first and last. Well, I'll tell you, now, and now we're going to get into me and my career, right? Um I played at Pacific University, and shout out to my guy, Tim Cleary. I'll go out and say it. And me and him are still cool to this day. I saw him, like, within the last month or so. He came to one of my DJ sets. Like, yeah, we were Coach Cleary always, always will forever be my guy. Don't necessarily agree with everything he did as a coach. And there's some conversations that we've had since I was a player for him at Pacific University that he felt he could have done differently or maybe could have done better as a coach, especially because – I was a team captain, so he and I already had a a deeper relationship in that sense as a player. But then again, as we reflect and those days are behind us on and so forth, like it is what it is, whatever. Um, And I might have told this story on the podcast before, but coming into my senior year, um, I had a pretty strong offseason. I went back to California, was playing a lot of hoop, had some personal stuff going on, though. So I didn't stay in Oregon. Which obviously is one thing that, you know, some of the other guys, especially our upperclassmen, our seniors, stayed put to be able to just 
put all of their focus into Pacific University basketball. Obviously, you're training, you're doing weight training, so on and so forth. So there was a little bit of a disconnect with me coming into my senior season, being a team captain, and I just dip. I go to California, and I'm gone basically the whole summer. Um, But one thing Coach Cleary was into, basically the way we did it, our practice schedule would be three days of practice, on the fourth day, we would have a scrimmage, and, and it would be a legit scrimmage against each other. He would bring in, like, a, he would hire officials to come. And so you got three days practice, one day scrimmage, a day off. So four days on, one day off, basically, that fourth day being the scrimmage day. And I came back, and I had, like, a nagging Achilles injury, and I was monitoring it, basically. And I was I knew the work that I put in and some of the dudes that I went back home and was balling against during the summer that I was going to come into my senior year and, and have a pretty good year. Ultimately ended up being an all-conference player that year. But because Uh-oh. because I had some personal things going on, because it might have seemed that I wasn't as committed to the basketball team as probably one would have assumed I should have been, and now I'm dealing with this nagging injury – when practice comes back around, we got some young players that have a pretty bright, bright future within the program, and I'm not looking so great. But what he had, he had this system called, like, value points. And so on those day fours of practice, when we had scrimmages, he used, like, the numbers and the statistics and those value points, like, meant a lot in regards to, like, what his rotation would be. Obviously, for guys that were, like, deeper down the roster just trying to make the cut and get a roster spot on the team, like, value points were, like, very significant to coach. Cleary. But because I'm monitoring this injury and I'm I'm more so a gamer and I'm ready for season to come around and I'm not really practicing so much, I'm playing like shit in these scrimmages. And I didn't end up starting that season. Although I was an all-conference player when I was set and done, but coming into the season, my value points were terrible, like really bad. But I knew once the games would come around that I was going to ball out. So first game of the season comes around after having one of the worst value points on the team in those three or four scrimmages that we had prior to season, practicing starting like early to mid-October, games obviously starting in November. First game, I have like a double-double. Second game, I might have scored like 17 or 18. Like I'm just kind of getting off in these first few games. Mind you, I'm coming off the bench putting up these numbers, and I'll, I'll never forget because he obviously wasn't really pleased with me coming into the season and my value points were so bad, he didn't really expect me to be producing at the level that I came in right away and was producing that during the season start, during the season, as the season started. So I remember Coach Mack, one of our assistant coaches, it was like a post game, we had won a game and, you know, Coach was kind of like giving everybody else compliments, but he didn't really compliment me at all. And again, partially because he was a little bit mad at how I came into the season. And so Coach Mack is like, yo, TC, he called him TC, Tim Clear. He's like, pulls me to the side. He's like, TC didn't mention your name in like the post-game case, post game talk. But like, I just want to come to you personally and tell you like, you had a double-double. Like, great game today, dude. Like, you know what I'm saying? One of those things. And so I say that to say the value point system that Coach Cleary used was an absolute turnoff for me because for me, it's all about the game. It's all about game production. I'm not saying practice isn't important, but I'm saying I kind of had a little bit of Allen Iverson in me. We talking about practice or we're talking about a scrimmage, but because of that, again, I had to really stand out 
for Coach Clear to finally break down and be like, all right, he we were on the road one weekend and he had to bring me in for a conversation like, all right, you weren't starting. We had this young player who came in and his value points were great. He's a young sophomore. He's got a bright future as well within the program. I didn't really know what was going on with you as much. You had this injury you were dealing with. You had personal stuff you were dealing with. But I got to acknowledge that, like, I see you. <laughs> I see the numbers you're putting up. Everybody sees the numbers you're putting up. And quite frankly, you're putting up better numbers than the person that's starting ahead ahead of you. But I want to just kind of have this transparent conversation with you and kind of ask you, like, are you okay with coming off the bench or is it bothering you at all that you're putting up these numbers? I mean, what kind of question? And you're not. Is it bothering me to come off the bench? No. And and, and to be honest with you, it it actually wasn't really bothering me so much because I was closing in all those games and majority of those games. So for me, it didn't bother me so much. But still, but still, you got to acknowledge if you got a player putting up all conference numbers and and playing at an all conference status at status, at some point, we got to address the elephant in the room is why is this the guy coming off the bench? Right, right. Well, and I mean, I was it came a- down to that more so. I didn't start the rest of that season, only on senior night because right. I was a senior. Yeah. And again, still was an all-conference player, but it's like eventually no, I mean, I that was- elephant in the room had to be addressed. Well, like, Coach, you see what's going on. I- Everybody sees what's going on. We got to kind of like have this conversation, especially with me being a team captain, so on and so forth. So for me, those statistics, yeah, okay, those but Devon, value but points, whoa, 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 that, hold that is love. But, it gets but, under my skin off, a little bit, off, yo. Though, first off, though, <laughs> I've been to NBA statistics, basketball reference, all of these websites. There's no such thing as value points on any of those sites. So that's hella stupid, whatever that was. <laughs> Again, and, uh, I didn't agree with it either, right. but I'm just saying for me, it more so leans into what, what I'm what saying is ultimately it leans into analytics. That's no, why I don't like analytics. I don't know because I'm a gamer. Okay, <laughs> but, but, but I'm saying, but if you're but if you're hinging those analytics on something that a, a college coach basically made up to value his team. That's not the same. We're not talking. That's apples to oranges. And I don't know if, if it was made up or not because he's the first coach that I've, I've ever seen use that. that system. I've never heard of that. Me neither. Never heard first of that. First coach I've ever seen use this system. I liked him, but I never heard of that in my life, bro. This is the first I'm hearing about. And by the way, I was at a lot of those games, and I remember distinctly a lot of times where he'd have to throw you in there and you'd have to play cleanup. And yeah. try to get dig it dig out a hole. Yeah. Starting on the defensive end. And Absolutely. It's like, that's not. That's not. Absolutely. I'm just telling you, it was my experience. I mean, you got it, was, it, it was you one. You got it done. I got it done. Again, I I ended up being all conference when yeah. it was all said and done. Right. But it's like, you know, yeah. I, that was my experience, and it was an experience that like I wasn't necessarily a fan of. So when I hear analytics and as somebody as a former player and going back to my career and understanding this value point system that he had, it was like it's kind of cringy to me. I feel you. So I, I just don't see myself ever he's being a, he, the analytics he, he, dude. He's a and I think about my guy JT Campbell, right? Shout out to JT. This is no knock to JT. JT is like a senior analytics guy right now today for the Memphis Grizzlies. Oh, nice. And JT was like a physics major with the best, with the highest GPA damn near on campus, not even just on the basketball team, with the highest GPA on campus. And while JT was, again, my friend, a good guy, he wasn't no all-conference talent in basketball. He was a good leader. He was a hell of a student. 
but I'm not surprised that he's the one working in, in analytics right now today for an NBA <laughs> team. And I'm more so an analyst that's you get yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, it's just of course, it, of like course. like I have real life examples from my own of experience course. that it's like I'm not surprised that JT's yeah, the uh, analytics dude for an know, NBA team right now because he was the best physics student <laughs> like on campus a lot of at a really prestigious private school. And you know it's like um when you go like especially in the NBA like if you look at who coaches and who has like success coaching a lot of guys that have had like really long-term success in the league coaching, they played. Yeah. They may not necessarily have been like superstar players, right. but they played. And then there's a lot of instances where they'll bring in guys that are like, well, he's like a analyst, he's like a numbers guy. Yeah. They didn't necessarily play. And usually they get pretty quickly relegated back to assistant coaching roles and things to that effect. So there is some you know, correlative data to suggest what you're saying. Yeah. To, to, to get in my advanced analytic back <laughs> For sure. even further. For sure. But uh, someday they're going to have some some stats to prove that uh, it was a good move for you to go to California and kick it. Yeah. You know what I'm well, I mean, it, so by what, the end of the season. So, so, so by the end of the season, when I was an all-conference player, <laughs> the it, it, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that's the most advanced. That's what everybody. You so you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that, I'd rather that than to be the highest value point player yeah, on no the doubt. team. I, 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 I'll take the all-conference accolade I'm more so than online. the, the Tim a, Cleary value point, uh, highest point. With but not an all conference yeah. player accolade. I'm gonna try to find <laughs> where the value points are on NBA. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. You you might have to follow I'm up with TC, deep. but but that's us getting into our uh, wonky analytics versus like not analytics yeah. conversation. Because yeah, I I'm so just two, not an analytics So go boxers.com and listen to this game. We'll have this argument again. <laughs> <laughs> all right, shall we get into some content? Mm-hmm. Um. So last night I'm talking to you. We do this game, this broadcast, and I get an email as we're doing this broadcast Mm. because I was approved by ESPN for my credentials for the Field Night Invitational slash Legacy Tournament. It'll be like broken up into two tournaments. One is the Field Night Invitational. One is the Field Night Legacy. It's the PK85 celebrating Field Night's birthday. For those who don't know who Field Night is, he is the founder of Nike. He created Nike, one of the wealthiest guys in the world. Definitely, I would say, the wealthiest guy in the state of Oregon. Got it. So, I'm excited about it, and I'm still going. I'll still be there, regardless of what we're getting ready to kind of dig into here. But um, I'm excited about it. A big tournament. Thanksgiving night, Portland State, who I call games for, will have a 9.30 p.m. tip-off at the Veterans Memorial Coliseum against Gonzaga. And again, I'll just be moving all over because I want to catch some women's games over at University of Portland as well. Obviously, you got the Dukes of the World coming in. You got the top Nike schools in the country all coming coming down to Portland Thanksgiving the weekend to play basketball. So me being the hoop head that I am, absolutely. Like, I'm excited that... I got my credentials approved, which I kind of knew I would, but I got the official email last night. So then I wake up this morning and there's clips floating around on the shade room. I saw Tamika Mallory, who is an activist, one that I that I am a fan of, quite frankly. And she is they she posted the same clip that the shade room posted initially of Phil Knight coming out basically being critical of Kyrie Irving and his latest issues that he's dealt with in the NBA 
you know, posting the Hebrews was the the Hebrews to Negroes um, film documentary, if you will, that's out on Amazon, and I still haven't watched it, but apparently it it's it has some anti-Semitic stuff within that documentary. Again, I can't pinpoint exactly what that is because I haven't even seen it yet. Obviously, last week there was the whole Kyrie versus the media situation as he wouldn't really apologize or really acknowledge some of the anti-Semitic stuff that was in this particular documentary that he only posted the link to. He didn't like give an opinion when he posted it. But obviously, being that it was Kyrie, he posted something like that. People did go and watch it and saw the anti-Semitic stuff. He ultimately dug his heels into whatever it was that he believed. I talked about it a little bit last week with Kyrie Irving's situation here on this podcast. And eventually, he ended up being suspended by the NBA. And then over the weekend, I believe it was, he was suspended by Nike. Now, the NBA has a whole list of things that they want Kyrie Irving to do. A few of those things being they want him to donate 500000 to some anti-hate organizations. Obviously, he suspended five games minimum. Mm. Um, he had to have a conversation with Commissioner Adam Silver, which apparently has already happened. Um, he had to have a conversation with the leaders of the Anti-Defamation League. There's just like six or seven things that he's got to do to be able to return to basketball. I will say as a side note that the money that he was going to donate, they rejected. They they, they reject. The Anti-Defamation League in particular rejected, rejected it because, because he – was he continued to dig his heels in and not apologize right. about the anti-Semitic or denounce, I should say more so, the anti-Semitic stuff that was in the film. He didn't necessarily denounce that until he was suspended and ultimately did apologize and denounce anti-Semitism. Um, so with that said, everybody just following what's going on. He's out right now. He's suspended. The conversations and the headlines are all around Kyrie Irving right now. And Phil Knight went onto a platform and he said things like Kyrie crossed the line. And I'm paraphrasing here, obviously. Um, he also was asked, like, basically, is there anything that Kyrie can do to, like, step back over the line that he apparently crossed in Phil, in Phil Knight's eyes? And Phil Knight came out and ultimately said, Probably not, but I don't have a definitive answer for you right now. But I doubt that Kyrie Irving and Nike will ever partner again. That's a little tough to hear from Phil Knight. For one, if you ask me how I feel about all the things that Kyrie has to do to return to basketball, personally, again, I've been hypercritical of Kyrie, but I've also been one to call out all of the good things that Kyrie has done over the course of his career on this podcast time and again, as Kyrie has definitely been a topic of conversation here more than once. Um, maybe I do think that the, 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 the penalty, the, everything he has to do is a little bit excessive because I don't feel Kyrie was maybe as direct of somebody like a Kanye West, who he's being compared to in Kanye's, Kanye's anti, anti-Semitic remarks and also threats like, I'll say all the anti-Semitic stuff that I want to. Again, paraphrasing, Adidas can't break up in no partnership with me. I dare him to do it. Like Kanye was more so daring in the in the remarks he was saying, where Kyrie felt like he was trying to educate himself and in some ways educate his people. Maybe 
the the tool that he was using to educate wasn't necessarily the right one. And that's why we are where we're here right now. But I don't think he was nearly as daring as Kanye West was in the remarks that Kanye West made in particular. Doesn't make me, doesn't make Kyrie right. But I don't think it's the same thing, especially for that reason that I allude to there. But Phil Knight, knowing the intricacies of Nike and we got the sweatshop stuff that has always been a conversation in regards to how Nike apparel is made. And then, obviously, with us being right here in the state of Oregon, Phil Knight donated plenty of money, upwards of $5 million to both initially Betsy Johnson, who was the independent candidate for the gubernatorial race this year. And then once he kind of knew that she really didn't have a chance at victory, he then donated, I think, a million, $1.5 million to Christine Drazen, who was the Republican gubernatorial candidate. Obviously, we just finished up the elections. Tina Kotek, the Democratic gubernatorial candidate, ended up winning. But interestingly enough there, Nike, the company, Nike Inc., donated to Tina Kotek. How much did they donate though, Devon? I, I think maybe like a hundred thousand. Yeah, like seventy five. Not a, yeah, not enough. That's nothing. <laughs> not, not I, just enough. Want, I just want people to know that that's the number. Yeah, I, yeah, and which is crazy, which is its own thing. But still, I think what's even more telling beyond just the number is obviously I think that number speaks to the influence that Phil Knight has over the corporation that is Nike that is supposed to be all about diversity and inclusion and all of these things. We could talk about their connection with Colin Kaepernick. We could talk about their connection with guys like LeBron James for crying out loud, so on and so yeah. forth. We can Nike's dig all the big, way into that. Nike's big into diversity, especially in their sweatshops. They try to get really inclusive. And, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So my, my point in all of that is, to me, it was a little hard to hear. Of course. Phil Knight, of all people, come out and say that Kyrie Irving was crossing the line. And again, this isn't me saying that Kyrie Irving is some kind of victim here, per se. But this is me saying that, like, I can't really quite accept that from Phil Knight, knowing what he's put his dollars and cents behind that has become public information right here within Oregon politics alone. And... You could talk about how close the race was. Obviously, Kotech won. And again, from what I've heard today, about an hour or so ago, the, uh, 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 Drazen still hasn't actually conceded to Kotech that she's the winner of this particular surprise, race. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Please don't tell me about the aspect of, well, the race was still close. So because there's so many people in the state of Oregon that feel the same way that Phil Knight does, that there's some legitimacy, if you will, to Phil Knight donating and publicly supporting, especially Christine Drazen, who definitely has some Trumpian type um, politics that she aligns with in that regard. Because we also had over 500,000 voters here in the state of Oregon that wanted to keep uh, slavery in Oregon's constitution. I think it was like 700. Yeah, the numbers keep rising as the ballots continue to get counted. <laughs> so even more so, 700,000 people right here in this state in 2022 that still, although, you know, it's passed, slavery will no longer be a part of Oregon's constitution. Mm. Still, knowing that it's that significant of a number of people that agreed to keep slavery as punishment in the Oregon constitution 
is nutty. Absolutely crazy. Scary. It's scary. And so for me, it's like, regardless of what Phil Knight and how many people may align with Phil Knight here in this state, that doesn't, to me, really necessarily give the credibility to this particular state because we got some other issues that's clearly that we got to handle in that regard based on people's feelings. But ultimately, like I said, I just had a hard time hearing it from Phil Knight. Um, again, I saw Tamika Mallory be cr- critical of Phil Knight as well. And again, I'll still be at the PK next week, but I, I can't sit here and say that that didn't necessarily like rub me the wrong way or make me think like, hmm, how supportive should I be of, of Phil Knight and of Nike knowing where he stands politically? And again, I'm not one of those people that tries to dictate where people do or don't stand, but I am one of those people that can see and recognize if I do or don't necessarily align with somebody politically. And he just doesn't quite seem like the dude that I'd necessarily align with politically. So for me personally, uh, okay, it was hard for me to hear that from Phil Knight. Look, it was hard for me to hear that from ethics and morality. That's that's what this is. Everybody, let, let, let's take the Kyrie Irving situation firstly. Everybody involved in that situation, from Kyrie to the NBA. To the MBPA, Kyrie Irving's on the, uh, you know, the uh, sort of governing uh, body of the MBPA. Um, I mean, the Brooklyn Nets organization, everybody yeah, are basically completely devoid of any sort of real ethics and morality in the way that the situation has been handled. It's obviously been covered ad nauseum the entire last couple of weeks. Yes. So I'm not going to get too much into the details, but it's like the thing that the thing that is funny to me is that like this it's 2022 and there's and everything is transparent. Like Phil Knight going on to, you know, you'll know, get getting in front of a camera and disavowing, you know, the 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 sense of morality and ethics that he, that he feels that Kyrie has breached the line that he crossed the, the line that he crossed is yeah. the parlance of his own words. Yes. Like we see where your money is going. Like, yeah. we, like we, it's all public <laughs> record dog. Like this isn't, this isn't voting. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. Like, like yeah, you know what I'm saying? I, I, yeah. Like yeah. 700,000 and counting people in this state voted for slavery to stay on the the constitution. Yes. We probably know at least one of those people. We Absolutely. see them. And they have a, an ability to not be, you know, they, they have the luxury of not being transparent about it. I promise you that if I knew somebody that voted for that, that they would not they would no longer be in my life. But but voting is confidential. Yeah, so and we so don't know. So we don't know. And <laughs> yeah. We, and, and honestly, with the way that people are able to, you know, the social media era and just the way of the media of today, people are able to disguise their them true selves with, like, you know, insulary, like, additions to their personality and the way that they project themselves out to the world. Like, yeah. We'll probably never know. Absolutely. But we know you, Phil. We Like, you're Phil Knight, bro. Yes, Yes. You're Kyrie Irving. Yes. You're Adam Silver. You're jo- you're Joe Brooklyn Side. Nets. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Joe it's Side. It's like we see you, dog. Right. 
and and that's the thing that really like cracks me up about it because like everything that you do at this point with the Kyrie situation, it won't matter. I mean, every, we we man, how many times over the six years that we've that, you know you've done this podcast, I've been on this podcast, have we covered situations? that are so eerily similar to, I mean, it's everywhere that somebody will do something wrong because they got caught. Like they got caught doing something wrong that maybe they didn't try too hard to cover up, but it got found out. And then they haphazardly try to go back and fix it with a really paltry effort yeah. that doesn't look good at all. Right. But they these dudes are all still Kyrie's still gonna make forty million dollars to either play or not play basketball this year. That's done. Phil Knight is gonna have more money. He's gonna make more money this year than I probably will in the next decade. That's done. Right. That's not gonna change. Yeah. And so, obviously, I don't hang my hat or 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 value what a bunch of rich assholes have to say. To be honest, mm -hmm. because there's no faking the funk. We can see this day in and day out on, thank God for, you know, it, it, it news outlets with integrity that are on it and people who are just like, we're going to keep on you. We're going to keep checking you and we're going to put this information out. And so, you know, all of that, I say all that to say like, you know, like, well, what happens next with Kyrie? It's like, I, I would imagine that he's gone. That, that he's not going to play basketball for the Brooklyn Nets, probably, you know, with the way that everyone's dragging their feet and sort of like limply trying to fix this, quote unquote. Yeah. It, you know, it could go as far as January or something to that effect. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I don't we know don't know the, how far the timeline. We just know minimum five games. We just know minimum five And the fifth game games. will be tom tomorrow, again, as you get this on a Friday. That fifth game will be Saturday. Saturday. So will he make it through the weekend in a Brooklyn Nets jersey? Excuse me. Probably not, but I mean, I heard saw a lot of people on online. They they compared the the Kyrie thing to the Myers Leonard situation. Yeah, where he used a, an anti-Semitic slur on a Twitch stream yeah. playing a video game for sure. And he was not offered any sort of potential recourse. Oh, you have to donate X and say Y and do Z, and then you can play for the Miami Heat again. He's Gonzo. He's gone, Doctor Gonzo. He also wasn't that good. That is the point, bro. <laughs> like, he's not good. Everyone's like, well, what the? Well, why is Kyrie so? Because he's a good basketball player. A hell of a, a great basketball That's player. That's why. And it's like, if you want to try to conflate morality and ethics with a huge business like selling shoes or showing basketball on TV, well, you're going to be really, really upset with the way that that works out and like the reality of the world, because these people do not have any ethics. They do not have any morality. They don't care at all, except for what that bottom line. And that's the way that it's going to be until, I mean, collectively people can, I mean, unify in a way to like really impact that dollar. You know what I'm saying? In a tangible yeah. way, because that's the only thing that's going to move the needle in these situations, especially bro. Especially, and I, I'm I'm not trying to, but especially when you go and you look and you see 700,000 people voted to keep slavery in the Oregon Constitution. It's yeah. like, it's like not only are these people over here bullshitting, 
Yeah. But it seems to be that a lot of you are to, not the yeah, your listeners. Whoever here. it is that's voting. And one of them may be a listener. I have no idea. Yeah. Who knows at this you point? You know what I'm saying? It's a whole lot of and people. So it's like. I just, for me, I'm just like, and with the Kyrie, it's like, bro, come on, man. Like, everybody, like, you know you can just not say anything, right? Like, I mean, if you really do think this crazy, totally wrong stuff, you can keep that to yourself, dude. Or, or keep it amongst your people. Keep yeah. it at the barbershop. Whatever. Now, now, some people may call that, like, veiled, if you will, but... Well, I mean, but once you make what I will say, is, what I will say that I've all, that I've disagreed with Kyrie is once he once he made it public on his social media, he tried to, and this is obviously prior to the apology. So I, I want to make sure to be clear because he has since apologized, but there was a point where he was saying that because he posted it on social media, it didn't equal promotion, and I wholeheartedly disagree with that. I think. What you post on social media is some sort of form of promotion, regardless of what it is, regardless what context you give to it. Social media is a platform. And when you put something on a platform, in my opinion, you are promoting whatever it is on that said platform, especially, especially when your platform is that of Kyrie Irving, one of the greatest NBA players to ever play the game with millions on top of millions yeah, top 76, of, 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 of followers. You know what I'm saying? Top 76. <laughs> <laughs> with millions upon millions yeah. of followers. Like, people get paid too much money these days yeah. to post on social media, regardless if he did that because it was free and it was on plat his own platform and he was free to do so. Social media has become too much of a business. Hell, social media is offering money to people now to promote or to boost promotion for whatever it is that they're posting based on algorithms, so on and so forth. So to me, just because maybe he didn't get paid for it, and his intent wasn't to promote it. Once it went on social media, that is some form of promotion. And that's where I disagree with him there, obviously. And again, it's hard for me to necessarily come out and defend Kyrie for where he was wrong, especially now that he's come out with an apology for crying out loud. Now, do I think he necessarily meant his apology or not? That he couldn't say. Who am I to say? Who, yeah, uh, yeah. An important who, 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 who am I to say? I'm just going to leave it at that. Who am I to say? I'm not really here to say that. But he did still apologize on those same platforms that he posted said link to this documentary, if you will, on. But what I will say is, is like, even with the apology, and even with Kyrie Irving being wrong, we all do still have to look at ourselves in the way that we criticize Kyrie Irving. Because, again, many of us, especially many of the people that are empowered to make the decisions regarding Kyrie Irving's future, i.e. Phil Knight, i.e. Joe Sy, as you've already mentioned, have publicly done things that are absolutely immoral to get them to the place and space that they're in right now to have the power to make these decisions over Kyrie Irving. And that has to, absolutely has to be acknowledged throughout this process as well if they're going to be the ones that are able to make the decisions and come out and say what is and what won't be in regards to Kyrie Irving in particular. It has to be acknowledged. Yo, the, there, there's that moment when Nick Friedle, shout out Nick Friedle, what a great journalist, when he asked Kyrie point blank in that presser talking about, well, do you 
are you an anti-Semite? Yes or no, basically. He was asking him very point-blank questions. And Kyrie was like, he basically said to him, I'm going to paraphrase here, but he was just like, oh, yeah, you're just trying to come at me and ask me these questions to get famous. And it's like, dude, he already is famous. In fact, so are you, bro. And In fact, everybody that's involved in this thing right now is in some way, shape, or form famous. Yeah. Why are we talking about like that? That to me is just like, it just illuminates to me. It's like, I know what kind of person you are, bro. You are somebody that's like, you, you know, uh, I don't know where you pulled this one from, but you know, is it, it's just interested in scoring and not really trying to, it doesn't yeah, care the about process. the process of yeah, playing the game for sure. And that's what it is, man. It's like everybody, this mentality of, who gives a shit if you're famous or not? Bro? Right. How about protecting your fellow man first? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. how about how about standing on a sense of morality and ethics that like is 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 humane? And again, that that's not, and, and I agree with you, but that's not necessarily saying that Kyrie can't make a mistake or people can't make a mistake and people don't do things immorally. What's made it a little bit harder for the ones who haven't been necessarily defending Kyrie all along to defend him is his track record in a lot of ways. Yeah, he's already You know what I'm saying? It is his, it is his track record in a lot of ways. Now, that part again, I talked about this a little bit last week. He puts himself into some of these situations and circumstances oftentimes on his own, which made it Harder for a lot of us to jump off the deep end and come out and right away defend Kyrie for his particular action. Again, I can come to the defense of Kyrie, or it may seem as if I'm coming to the defense of Kyrie, although that isn't my intent. Once I see people like Josiah and like Phil Knight, who also have track records that are a little wild to be the ones that are making the decisions over Kyrie Irving. That can sit totally wrong with me, and I've obviously expressed that here on this episode that in a lot of ways it does. But still, I'll acknowledge, in Kyrie Irving's case, it's not a lack of grace for Kyrie Irving. It's more so like a track record that Kyrie Irving does has that has made it hard for a lot of people, myself included, to come out right away and defend him. That's kind of been my whole thing. It's a lot of black people being called coons who didn't support Kyrie last week that may be supporting him this week after things have happened. Jalen Rose, Rose. I did see him come out, and so many more. And and again, first off, as a journalist, be mercurial, and you can be subject to change as more information reveals itself, which obviously has been done since the initial press conferences and obviously him posting and the reaction and some of the things he said prior to the suspension, prior to – the, the 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 outwardly commentary from Joe Side prior to the outwardly commentary of Phil Knight, so on and so forth. So for one, I always grant people the the opportunity to change as more reveals itself. But we can't sit and act like Kyrie ain't necessarily a person that has made himself hard to defend time and again. So it's a little bit hard to jump off the deep end on his behalf in particular about certain things because he oftentimes put himself in these sort of difficult positions that you want to defend him in, but sometimes you just can't. (laughs) And it's nobody's fault but his. So, again, that's where I just kind of stand with the whole thing, man. I I, I do want to see Kyrie play basketball again. I I will come out and bluntly say that. Um, 
And again, I do think that Kyrie has some learning to do. I think there's some education that Kyrie does need to go through. And I hope it all happens because I, I, I think it all can happen and it's all worth happening. And I'm not necessarily somebody that's a fan of sort of these oppression Olympics in regards to the powers the Jews sure, had sure, in sure. their history and the lack thereof when it comes to the power that blacks have had and Hebrews to Negroes and black Israelites and so on and so forth. I'm not really the person that's really into all of that. I do think that a compromise can be made in regards to Kyrie learning, but also being able to play the game of basketball again. I truly in my heart, my own individual heart believe that. And that's just my hope and wish for the entire if, situation that he learns. We learn. Learn, we make progress, but we still be able to see him do what he loves and do what he's so great at because I don't think that the damage he's done to this point, and I also kind of can't say because I'm not Jewish, calls for him to not be able to play basketball again. LeBron James came out and basically tweeted the same thing yeah, today. He did. And I agree with him in that regard. I, I mean, I, yeah, for sure. I, I, the thing is, is that, like, you know, Kyrie, I mean, you're right. Like, in terms of playing basketball or him being able to just like compartmentalize all of this and just play basketball, it's like, well, you, you brought this into your career. You Definitely. Know what I'm saying? So like, that's why I say so, he's got to be held so accountable no, for that. So there's no going back from that part. of it. Yes, I agree. But also like, I mean, and, and this is just, this just is what it is. It's like Kyrie, like y you could just start winning. And then that would probably, help your case to continue to play if he even wants to really play basketball like that to be honest yeah it I, I don't feel know like he really cares too much about that and he's that's an entirely guys, different conversation guys, it seems like he's one of those guys that it's like you know like when you're like a kid and everyone's racing out front of the school and there's that one kid who's like i'm faster than all of you and you're like, cool, we're racing right now, so let's see. And he, I don't even have to race you. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. You're not yeah. faster than anybody here, bro. Even if yeah, you yeah, are, yeah. who cares? Who cares? Because you ain't getting out you're here. Not, you're not it. participating, right? You know what right. I'm saying? And it's For like, sure. and Kyrie, he, I mean, that's how he did with the uh, with um. I mean, it's the same. It's it's like it's yeah, like a it's little Kyrie. Kid. It's we like ain't gotta get into all of it. We know how oh, we know how yes. Kyrie gets oh, down. I know, I know. I want to get off of Kyrie though. Stay. I want to get off. Unfortunately, it's, it's hard to get off. Yeah, yeah. I, I gotta go. Sorry, Kyrie. Right. You you've got enough of our time today. I, you know what? Because I do want to acknowledge, and obviously this is on a sadder note. Hard pivot, hard transition on a sadder note. My good friend, personally, friend of this show, one of the most successful episodes we've ever had, Jason Verrett. He just was announced as healthy and on the roster a week or two ago. We obviously, coming off of a torn ACL, we've obviously had him on the podcast. We know the, the long list of injuries that he's dealt with in his career. News broke today that he tore his ACL, in, I mean, he tore his Achilles, excuse me, in practice yesterday. Um that's, First that's off, two Achilles injuries, two ACL injuries. Two, uh, yeah. So he's he's torn he, he's torn each Achilles and each ACL God basically. Damn. And so, um, first off, <laughs> again, man, I want to send my well wishes to him. I text him already. You know, sending my well wishes. He know I'm here for him. He and I talk regularly. Um, and he did respond. You know, it was obviously a short response. I didn't expect him to write me a book. He was just, you know, love Brody with, you know, some some love emojis. Um, 
and we'll talk and obviously get more in depth and more in detail and you know but I want him to first and foremost take care of himself he just tore his Achilles yesterday um but he also just posted 27 minutes ago on his Instagram story and I'm gonna read what it is that he said um he said this life shit be crazy sometimes especially when it's out of your control but one thing for sure those who know me I'm always standing the paint and face this shit head first Chin up and chest out, always. Some people won't understand your assignment, but at the same time, they wasn't giving your work. I am who I am, who I'm not, I'll never be. What's for me won't miss me as long as I'm staying true to me. Fever, forever blessed. And it almost kind of makes me emotional because even if you were just somebody that listened to the episode in 2020 during the year that... He came off the Achilles in the ACL injury and was a comeback player of the year finalist in the NFL. And he talked about the mental hurdles that he dealt with recovering from the first two injuries, one ACL and one Achilles injury, to get back to the point of being a comeback player of the year finalist and how much of a dark place he'd been in. To see him be able to, first off, he wasn't, saying stuff like this and he wasn't this quick to go public with anything prior to that interview that we talked about. And again, we obviously dug into the many hurdles that he had to deal with mentally dealing with these significant injuries and how they affected him. Obviously first and foremost, you know, blocking him from being able to do what he loved, but there's certainly a financial element to it where he had a pretty big payday that was on the horizon based on his talent and his production when he was on the field that quite frankly, he just never got to see. So to see him now be able to speak this way just a day after again, I remember reaching out to him the last times he had injury. It took him weeks to respond. He respond. I text him today. He responded to me within hours and to know the conversations that I do and have had with him regularly about where his mental space has been, even during this ACL recovery that he hadn't even returned to game play yet from. And now he's got an Achilles injury all over again. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously, I, I I I hate that this has to be the circumstance once again for him, but I'm glad to see that mentally he's in a little bit of a different space based on the prior experiences now after this injury than he's been in some of the last injuries. Again, obviously on a personal level, and then obviously just from the conversations that we had right here on this podcast. And it seems that, He's just been in a better headspace as a human during these last couple of injuries than he was prior. And he was in quite a pretty dark and dangerous place then. So, and still, that doesn't mean that he won't have more mental hurdles that he's going to have to overcome. But what it does mean is I've seen him put work into his mental, having to overcome the hurdles of the past that I'm confident that with the support and with the right people around him and just with his own internal growth, that mentally he will be in a better place and space again and having a once again deal with another, another long-term intense recovery as we know a torn Achilles is both of those. It's a long recovery process and quite frankly it's an intense one. Whether he'll play the game of football again or not, don't know, doesn't matter at this point. 
Um, but you know, again, I'm I'm here for him always. I've expressed that to him. He knows it. Again, I, like I said, he responded back. But to even see what he just posted about a half hour ago on Instagram, I I, I I'm feeling more positive for him from the seat that I sit in as somebody that has a personal relationship with him than I have in past injuries. And that usually is a tough thing to say when you have to deal with this shit all over again and basically start all the way over and another probably surgery repair and recovery and so on and so forth. And again, not knowing what your future is going to be within this sport, especially now that you have dealt with this fourth significant injury in this way. Yeah, I mean, I think about the, uh, you know, outside of football, because that's obviously, like you said, not even important right now. But I think about just like the impact that that has on your mobility, you know, like being able to navigate the world as you get older. Like, I'm sure that there's a lot of issues that guys and gals experience um, after, you know, those are traumatic injuries. For sure. For sure. um I mean, yeah, like you can't, you can't do, you can't go through that and not come out with some pretty substantial, you know, metal uh, to go along with it after overcoming thrice pretty much what was not even very long ago career ending injuries. Yeah. And so, I mean, literally hadn't even returned to play from the ACL injury just to practice. I know. To tear his Achilles and, and practice like, again, <laughs> and like in terms of like you know, I mean, I'm not I'm not like a sports scientist or anything or a doctor, but you know, like I've I've had you know broke my ankle, I've done some things, and it's like I know that there's like issues that go on, you know, on the other sides of your body when you have to like favor those sides or be off of your legs. So it's like yeah, yeah, it's like it's just such an incredible uphill battle to have to try to climb. And I mean that that interview in 2020 is probably still my favorite, like you know, like long form audio interview that I've heard in years. Yeah, it's a video too on YouTube if you haven't seen it. Oh, that's right. There's but, yeah, a video for on sure. Yeah. So for I mean, sure. I'm look. I'm definitely gonna go. You know, listen to that again because I remember how inspired I was when I heard it. And obviously, you know, prayers up to Jason. That's so so janky, bro. <laughs> it's just it's so up. janky. It's fucked and it's up. Just, for sure. In practice, too, like you would at least, you know, go out on your shield in the sense to be able to be, get out and play. And yeah, uh, I mean, we, you know, Zeb and I were talking the Niners, you know, like that's that they they got something going over there, and he would have been, you know, uh, obviously a, an incredible piece to that puzzle there in San Francisco. And um, but I mean, I know that he's gonna, you know, come back, you know, mentally even stronger than that. I mean, you can't. You know, God gives battles to his strongest soldiers. That's what they say. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's like this dude obviously is like, you know, Hercules over here because he just keeps getting battles. For sure. But, uh, yeah, like I said, prayers up. I mean, you know, we'll see. I, what, how old is he still? He's like 29? Uh, he's 30. 31. 30, I think 31. 31. I mean, that's, yeah, you know. Two year, he was two years old. Two years older than me. We went to high school. He was a senior when I was a sophomore. Yeah, so, so it's like, I mean, like, yeah. it's sports science, man. I'll like, be 30 in a 
couple months. Jeez, yeah, you're coming, man. You're coming. <laughs> yeah, 20s. It's all good, man. I'm hanging on to my last <laughs> leg of my 20s right now. Hey, if you want to hang on to the last leg of your 20s with Devon, go catch him at Export. Bro. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll be there. Man. I'll be there. I don't think I announced that during uh, wind shares, yeah. but I will be there Saturday yeah. night. Thank you. There you go. Yeah, I, I might have to pull up on you. But, but yeah, like I said, like sports science is so crazily like advanced now that like there is a chance that a guy can come back after that. I mean, we've seen it. You know, we've seen Kevin Durant, you know, Clay Thompson's guys go through multiple injuries and come back and be impactful on, on the sure. field. So yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not, you know, I'm not not hopeful about that sort of thing. It just sucks to see talent not be able to play. Yeah. Like definitely. especially when you're like, you know, 31 years old, that's prime time manhood. And it's like, and you're a super athlete. So it's like, of course, as a sports fan, I want to see you playing sports. Yeah. Definitely. That's selfishly, but for you sure. Know. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, again, pray, really say. prayers yeah. up to JV, man. You know, again, like I said, I, I talked to him. He's responded. I obviously talked to him more in depth when the time is right. We'll get him back here on the podcast again because obviously he's been through so much more since 2020 when we had him last on the podcast. Um, and again, I've obviously stayed in touch with him due to our personal relationship, but, you know, just wishing him the best, wishing him a healthy recovery and, I do believe in everything that he said in that post um, because I've had the conversations with him in the meantime, in between time, to know, you know, what what the work he has been putting in when it comes to the mental side of things, which I think is, one, very important to physical recovery, but, two, just very important to your overall being when your future is becomes uncertain all over again. Um, so, you know, again, wishing him the best with that and uh i think that's all we got for today free bg absolutely we did have that they uh on the docket they I, they moved talk about it so so yeah so they transferred her to like a penal colony colony penal colony which is pretty much worst case scenario yes it is and uh um, and we don't know where and, she's we, and, at and, right and now. exactly there's they don't they don't have any information they're obviously not tracking her transfer to where it's like and so Free BG. Yeah. That's what this podcast has been stood on and will continue to stand on. Absolutely. And, um, I mean, again, you know, you know, we were talking about ethics and morality, especially about people in power. And it's like, yeah, we heard all of this. We're on the case. We got people looking into it. Government officials are actively conversating with you had potential, you know, moves on the table to be made. To rectify this situation that didn't. And now things have gotten worse. And now worse. things have gotten worse. Yeah. And so I just, th- that, it just, uh, I, look, I'm, I'm I've been, <laughs> man, I've been on this, I'm on this wave and I've been on this wave for a very long time in terms of like, I, I don't even require, I don't even require people to show and prove really to me anymore because all you got to do is just, Look at the writing on the wall, and you can see exactly where people stand, exactly the sentiment that people share. And unfortunately, it doesn't necessarily surprise me in terms of where this whole thing has gone to. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. You're the grassroots activist guy more so than me. Um, and I know that there's a lot of people in this city, especially that you know, are, are, I mean, I would say world leaders in that front. Yeah. And, um, 
I just, uh, I mean, I, I just, I know that I want to try to, I mean, I see all this going on and I, I'm, I, I want to try to commit to even further, just figuring out how I can amplify and like galvanize like a, from a grassroots level, like my sense of ethics and morality yeah, and the people that I surround myself with for sure. and the things that I choose to invest my energy into because yeah. I just don't like, I, I mean, I never did, but it's like even more so like just the lack of trust that I have for, you know, what seems to be like obvious, like senses of humanity that people just simply don't share. For sure. And so it, it you know, it's disheartening. And I, and I just, um, I mean, it's not gonna, you know, stop me from, from trying to just continue to be who I want, who I think is right and, and do what I believe is right. Um, but it just seems like more and more, it's just like, man, we just, I mean, it's like, we got to start taking stuff into our, I mean, in a, in more of a tangible yeah, way. And it's just a tough thing to do, man, especially, you know, obviously just not knowing where she is first and foremost, but it, then also knowing like, to what extent do we go and to what extent is her safety compromised, right. depending upon the extent that's that right, we go to, point. to try to bring her home. And that's why, again, I remember when we had Senator Wyden on and, he was just talking about how he was following following the family's lead. And although that seems very cliche, but just knowing the international politics at hand and knowing, you know, the 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 the, the lack of love <laughs> that is between the United States and Russia right now, but knowing that we also want her to be safe and alive <laughs> and to be able to actually make it back home. To what extent do we go to try to bring bring her home, but at the same time put more risk on her actually making it home? because she's already over there. And so it's one of the toughest things that I've seen that we've had to navigate, but obviously I'm glad that you made sure that we still brought it up. It's still free BG. Um, and we still need to never put a stop to the fight that we put up um, and the advocacy that we put up in favor of actually getting her home point blank period. So a tough note to end this podcast on, but, uh, you know, it's still free BG. Chin and I'm up, praying, chest out. You know, I'm praying for her well-being because we obviously don't know what that is right now. Her lawyers, her family don't know what that necessarily is right now. We know that, you know, penal colonies colonies have very, very harsh conditions, even harsher conditions, conditions than the Moscow jail that she was in. So prayers up for her, prayers up to her family, prayers up to the women's basketball community and the sports community that does actually support her because we know there's plenty of phonies out there that don't. But on that note, mm -hmm. we're going to leave y'all the only way that we know how, and that is to stay woke and Ain't go no win. Way.